Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Welcome home. Good to see everybody today. Welcome those of you who are joining us online. Thanks for worshiping with us today. If we haven't met yet, uh, my name is Adam and I'm the discipleship pastor and I'm going to be um, just bringing the message today. But before I, we do that, I need to take care of some business. Um, I need Matt and Mike. You two are in conflict. You need to cut it out, get it settled, figured out. All right, figured out. All right, Philippians chapter 4, turn there. Okay, everybody take a breath. I'm just kidding. Mike's going, what? I didn't give Mike a heads up. I was going to do that. I'm just kidding. I don't think Mike and Matt are in conflict. If they are, then I just made it really awkward. But I, I, I do that because that's actually, that's exactly what Paul does today in our letter of Philippians, which we've been walking through. He's going to call two people out by name who are in conflict with each other. Now, last time I preached, maybe a month or so ago, um, Paul was talking earlier in the letter about unity in the church and that kind of thing. And and I, I had said then that there was some foreshadowing there because later in the letter, he was going to specifically by name call two people out who are in conflict and tell them, figure it out. Well, today we come to that passage. And so in Philippians chapter 4, just the first four verses, he starts off, he says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and I long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown that I receive for my work. Paul had a, Paul had a close relationship with this church. He loved this church and they loved him and they were really tight. And you can see that coming through in this verse. But then he changes, he changes tone a little bit. He says, now, I appeal to Yodia and Syntyche. Does that sound like a law firm in the Star Wars movies? <laughs> Hello, Yodia and Syntyche. Hi, my name's Darth Vader. Can I sue my son for blowing up my Death Star? I don't know. If you're not a Star Wars fan, you don't know what the heck I'm talking about. But okay, Yodia and Syntyche, these are two ladies. We know just because these were female names in the language that, that they were written in. So these are two ladies in the church. He says, I appeal, I appeal to Yodia and Syntyche. Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. He says, please, figure it out. And I ask you, my true partner, we don't know who that is. He's addressing some specific person in the church. He says, I'm asking you, this third party, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are written in the book of life. And then he says, always be full of joy in the Lord. Again, I say it, rejoice, rejoice, he says. So let's, let's just dive into this. Paul doesn't give us, in fact, he gives us really no details about this conflict, except that it's between these two ladies. But I think there are some really safe assumptions that we can make about this conflict based on what little he does say and then on what he doesn't say. And then looking at his pattern and some of the other letters that he writes in the New Testament. So let's look at four assumptions that we can make about this conflict. The first is it was significant enough that the women couldn't resolve it themselves, right? Why, why else would Paul be writing this? It had gotten significant enough that they couldn't figure it out themselves. Now, conflict, we need to establish early on, conflict in itself is not a bad thing. I know it feels like a bad thing, but it's not. Because conflict, especially if it's handled in a healthy way, can actually bring about positive changes, right? Most of the, well, not most, a lot of the changes, good changes that Sarah and I have made in our marriage over the years in terms of how we communicate and, you know, excuse me, how we relate to each other, 
a lot of those came out of conflicts that we had with each other, which led to, you know, better understanding of ourselves or each other. So conflict can actually be a good thing, but how we handle it obviously can make it a bad thing. And one of the worst things that we can do in handling conflict is let things fester and let things grow and let things get to a point where both sides are off in their corner with their arms folded, maybe not talking to each other. And that apparently is where these two ladies got to. They let it get out of hand. They let it get to a point where they couldn't resolve it themselves. And that's why Paul was stepping in. So the challenge, one of the biggest challenges in resolving conflict is get it resolved early. Don't let it fester. Get it resolved before it hits this point where you can't seem to work it out together. So that's the first assumption. Second assumption, this was probably not a moral or theological issue. Say, well, how, what makes you assume that? Well, because in other letters, Paul was not afraid. Paul was never shy about pointing out theological things in the church that needed to change, or if there was a moral issue, he would point it out. He would say, this is wrong, you need to stop doing it. Or he would say, your theology here is off and it needs to be corrected. Paul was not shy about that at all, and yet he doesn't do it here. Which tells me this must not have been a moral issue or a theological issue. And if that's true, then that means this must have been a difference of opinion, or a personality difference. It wasn't moral, it wasn't theological. Now, in my experience, I'm not citing some study here. This isn't some absolute I'm giving you. I'm just telling you in my 25 years of experience, most of the conflicts that I have seen in the church really weren't over moral or theological issues. They were over opinions and personality clashes. Not everyone, but most. And sometimes I've seen those differences of opinion or personality issues, I've seen those sort of over-spiritualized and turned into a moral or theological issue. Don't do that. Don't over-spiritualize your opinion to make it sound more noble differentiate between what's really a theological or moral issue and what is just opinion or personality. Apparently, this is one of those because Paul would have corrected it otherwise. And by the way, a lot of what we're talking about today is conflict within the church because that's what Paul is addressing. But understand, a lot of the things that we talk about today, we can apply to any conflict that we're in, in any relationship, all right? So kind of take note of those things. Here's the third assumption, though, that we can make. The issue had become serious enough that the church had apparently written Paul about it. I mean, how else would he have known? Apparently, this had really kind of blown up to the point that somebody wrote Paul and said, man, we got this situation here. Help us deal with it. So follow my logic here. Just stay with me and follow my logic on this. If the cause of the conflict wasn't serious enough for Paul to address it, and yet the conflict had gotten serious enough that it was impacting the church, then it seems a logical conclusion that whatever it was, these ladies were maybe giving it more attention than what it deserved. 
right? If Paul, if it wasn't serious enough for Paul to address, and yet the conflict was hot enough that it was impacting the church, then whatever the issue was, it must have been something that they were giving too much attention to. And sometimes the best thing we can do in the conflict is step back and say, okay, is this really worth fussing over? Early on in our marriage, Sarah and I got in a fight over how to fold the bathroom towels. Come on. Those of you married, raise your hand if you've ever fought over something dumb like that. Yeah, a few of you slowly, if you're not raising your hand, you're lying. One time Sarah and I got in a fight, sorry, I got in a spirited discussion. And I realized at one point that I, something like I was mad at her for being mad at me for being mad at her. And that's pretty much what it boiled down to. And so when I realized that, I, I kind of laughed and I said, I pointed that out to her and she laughed. And you know, to this day, I have no idea what the original thing was about. That tells me it probably wasn't worth fussing over, right? It probably wasn't worth fussing over. Whatever it was, they were giving it more attention than what it deserved. Paul says this earlier in the letter in chapter one, he says, I want you to understand what really matters. Say those yellow words with me. Understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. Sometimes we just need to step back and say, does this really matter? This thing that I'm getting all chapped over, does it just... Does it really matter in the grand scheme of things? Is this really worth it? Is it worth the damage to the relationship to fuss over this? Does it really matter? Understand what really matters. Fourth assumption, and this is huge. Both ladies shared responsibility for this. Did you catch that? Paul addressed them both equally. He didn't call one of them out. He didn't say, this is more your fault than yours, so you really need to fix. No, he called them out equally. Said, both of you, figure this out. And if there's one thing, if, there's, if I could say one thing about resolving conflict in whatever arena of life you're talking about, it's this. Figure out what your part is and own it. That might be the single most important step to take in resolving conflict. Just own your part. And if you have no idea what your part is, how about this? Ask them. Our relationship is too important to me for there to be this thing between us. Can you tell me how I hurt you? Can you tell me what I did that made you mad so that I can apologize for it? And then when they tell you, don't get defensive, don't make excuses, just apologize. There are very few things that can cool the temperature in a room full of conflict faster than a genuine apology. Own your part. Doesn't mean you're, you're owning the whole thing. Just own your part. Yeah, well, they started it. They're more at fault than I am. Okay, well, even if that's true, you probably still said something that you need to apologize for. I was really mad when I said this, and I shouldn't have, and I'm sorry. I was really upset over here, but I shouldn't have treated you that way, and I'm sorry. Own it. Just own your part. 
Own your part. Because in just about any conflict, especially if it's gone on for any length of time, both parties have said or done something that they shouldn't have. There are very few conflicts where both parties are completely innocent. So own it. Own your part. Take responsibility for your part. So those are, those are four, I think those are pretty safe assumptions we can make about this conflict, giving the lack of details that Paul gives us. What does he say, though, about actually resolving it? Well, again, he doesn't give us a lot, but he does give us a couple things. And the first thing he says is, ladies, work this out. In other words, he gives primary responsibility for this to these two ladies. He says, you work this out. He says, I appeal to Yodia and Syntyche. Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. Please work it out, he says. Figure this thing out. If you have kids, have you ever said to your kids, I don't care what you're fighting over, just figure it out. Raise your hand if you have kids and you've ever said that. Of course you have, right? And that's good parenting, honestly, because if we just settle everything for our kids, then how are they going to learn how to figure that stuff out, right? So you don't want to jump in and settle everything for them. Sometimes there's value in saying, figure this out. I'm not getting in the middle of this. That's how they learn how to do it. One time when my boys were real little, I think I've, I think I've done this twice. When they were real little, um, two of them were just fussing and uh, just, it was just kept going and going. And so I got one of my t-shirts and I put the shirt on both of them. You know, one arm going out, one of them had an arm going out this sleeve, one of them had an arm going out this sleeve. And I said, I'll take that off of you when you can figure it out. And they did. Sometimes you got to say, hey, figure this out. But the truth is that doesn't always work. Sometimes I tell my boys, figure this out. And I still have to jump in and help them find a solution. Sometimes that happens. And if we're honest, sometimes as adults, we let a conflict get too far and we don't get it figured out and we need somebody else to help us do it. Sometimes we get to that point. And for that reason, Paul goes on and he says, I ask you, my true partner, whoever this individual was, help these two women. We don't know if this was a leader in the church. Was it somebody who had a connection to both? We don't know. It was somebody in the church. And he said, you help them figure this out. So while he's giving primary responsibility for this to these ladies, he's assigning secondary responsibility to the church to help them do it, help them figure this out. Because this is impacting the church and it's impacting what you need to be doing for the kingdom. So church, you got to help them figure it out. Help them. Paul says, ladies, work this out. Church, you help them do it. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean that the whole church needed to get into their business, right? We didn't, no, that's not what we're talking about. When we say the church, when we need to help each other work conflict out, that doesn't mean that we all need to be all up in each other's business. That's, what, that's not what Paul's saying. He's, he's asking one person in the church, as a representative of the church, go help them do this. So if we, can't, if we shouldn't get all in each other's business, which we shouldn't, then what can we do? Let me give you some things that all of us can do, some general things that all of us can do to help the church navigate conflict in a healthy way. Four things that all of us can do without getting in each other's business. All right? First one. This is first for a reason. Avoid gossip. Avoid gossip. What's, what, 
what harm does gossip really do? It's just a little story. And the story's true, I'm pretty sure. What does it hurt? See, a lot of times we put, you know, we put things like having an affair or stealing or lying, you know, we put, those are the big sins. And then if we put gossip on the list of sins at all, it's like way down here. That's not a big deal. You know, the Bible is full of verses that tell us, don't gossip. Don't gossip. Don't tell those stories. If it's not your story, then don't tell it. Here's what Paul does in 2 Corinthians. The church at Corinth was a mess. It was a big, dysfunctional mess. And at one point, Paul tells them, I'm afraid that when I come, I won't like what I find. Does that sound fatherly or what? I'm afraid I won't like uh, what I find. I'm afraid that I will find quarreling, jealousy, anger, selfishness, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorderly behavior. Now, what do we, we want to do with this list? We look at it and we say, quarreling is bad, jealousy, that's terrible, anger, selfishness, slander, those are terrible things, arrogance, disorderly behavior, whatever that is, those are terrible. We need to stay away from those things. Oh, wait, we forgot one. Look at the things that Paul groups together with gossip. It's not a small thing. And it can tear churches apart, and it can tear lives apart. Don't do it. In fact, Proverbs says, without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. You want to help the church stay away from unhealthy conflict? Stop telling stories that aren't yours. What, what, is, what does Kyle say all the time? Go to the, go to the throne, not the phone. Right? You got a conflict, you got an issue. Don't go telling your group about it. Don't pick up the phone and start telling people about it. Go to the per go first go to God, go to the throne, go to God and pray about it, and then go to the person and figure it out. But don't gossip about it. That's something that all of us can do. Second thing we can all do to help the church navigate conflict, avoid the temptation of taking sides. That's when a church gets in trouble. When, when, there's, when a conflict boils up and people start taking sides, man, I had a, I had a friend back in the town we moved from in Missouri, and uh, he pastored a Baptist church in town, and we were talking one day about conflict and this kind of thing, and, and something dawned on me. I said, it seems to me that when Baptists get mad at each other, they go start another Baptist church. But when we Nazarenes get mad at each other, we go join the Baptists. Well, that's kind of funny, but there's actually kind of some truth in that. Avoid the temptation of taking sides. Even if you're close to one of the people involved, avoid the temptation of taking sides. Because you know what? You're going to want to assume that they're in the right, and they may not be. But you may not be able to see that because you're close to them. Avoid the temptation of taking sides. Because if you're close to that other person, there is going to be a side of this that you can't see. Because there are always two sides to a story. In fact, that brings us to the third one. Differentiate between facts and assumptions or opinions. What happens a lot of times in a conflict, we start, you know, our opinions come into play or we start making assumptions. And then we start making these sweeping decisions 
that aren't even based on this real story, that aren't even based on facts. They're based maybe on one side of the story at best, and at worst, they're based on assumptions and opinions. No, have the humility to say, you know what, I don't have all the facts here. I'm going to reserve judgment because I don't have all the facts that I don't know all sides of the story. Differentiate between facts and assumptions or opinions. In fact, James says this in another letter in the New Testament. He says, if you're wise and you understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. So he's drawing a a close connection here between wisdom and humility. And he goes on a little bit further down. He says, the wisdom from above, in other words, godly wisdom, is first of all pure. It's also peace-loving. In other words, godly wisdom sows seeds of peace not seeds of conflict. When we gossip, when we do things like that, when we take sides, we're sowing seeds of conflict. Paul says godly wisdom sows seeds of peace. It's peace-loving. It's also gentle at all times. We'll talk more about that one later. And it's willing to yield to others. How many conflicts could be resolved if we would just be willing sometimes to yield? You know what? Sometimes the relationship has to be more important than being right. Which means that sometimes you have to just step aside and yield. And that's not weak. Paul says, no, that's actually godly wisdom. When you have the humility to yield to others. He says, godly wisdom is full of mercy. It's full of the fruit of good deeds. And it shows no favoritism. It's always sincere. Godly wisdom shows no favoritism. Favoritism means I'm picking a side. Even if I don't have all the facts, even if I don't know the whole story, I'm picking a side. That's favoritism. Paul says, you know what? That's foolish. Right? If being wise is, is this, then the opposite is foolish. So he says being wise means you don't take sides, which means if you do take sides, that's foolish. It shows no favoritism. So differentiate between facts and assumptions or opinions and avoid taking sides. The last thing that we'll say is be joyful. Now, where does that come from? Well, it comes from the text. Did you catch that? The very last verse. He says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. He repeats it. Now, we need to understand joy, joy isn't just an emotion or feeling that you don't have any control over. I mean, this is a command. There's, there's command language in here. Be joyful, he says. And it's so important, I'm going to repeat it. Again, be joyful. Now, what in the world does that have to do with this conflict between these two ladies? When I've read that, I was like, man, Paul, talk about a left turn. What are you doing here? But then the more I thought through, no, it makes sense. You want to help avoid or at least manage conflict in a healthy way in the church and in your relationships? Be a person of joy. Because here's what happens. When we're not joyful, when we sow seeds of criticism and seeds of bitterness and seeds of complaining and seeds of negativity, guess what? All those things are a fertile garden for conflict to grow out of. 
And when we choose those things, when we're bitter and we're critical and we're negative and we're complaining and we're saying no to the joy of the Lord that he has and that he wants to instill in us and that he wants us to choose, when we say yes to those things, then we're sowing seeds of peace and joy in other people's lives. So Paul says, you want to help, you want to help these ladies work through this conflict? Then the rest of you, all of you, including the two ladies involved, choose joy. Don't jump on the criticism bandwagon, the negativity bandwagon, the bitterness bandwagon, because that is just a garden that gives root to conflict. Choose joy, he says. Be joyful. So, just a recap. What can we all do to help the church manage conflict in a healthy way? First top of the list, avoid gossip. Don't take sides. Differentiate between facts and assumptions or opinions. And be joyful. Practice the joy of the Lord in your life. Those are some things that all of us can do. Now, last thing. Why does Paul say this is so important? Again, he doesn't give us a lot of details here, but why is it so important, especially in the church setting, that we resolve our conflicts in a healthy way? Well, he gives us two reasons. First of all, he says the ladies are sisters in Christ. Did you catch that? Please, he's talking to the two ladies, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. Because you are sisters in Christ, because you are both followers of Jesus, figure this out. You see, the person that you are in conflict with is not the enemy. The person you're in conflict with is not the enemy. And if you're both followers of Jesus, that means you are brothers or sisters in Christ, and you're going to be worshiping God in heaven someday right next to each other for all of eternity. So figure it out. Figure it out now. They're not your enemy. You're on the same team. View them as a brother or sister in Christ. Treat them as a brother or sister in Christ. And figure it out. Paul says, you both belong to the Lord, so figure it out. Second thing he says, though, is he says, they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers. The second reason that Paul gives as to why this is so important is because they're on the same team. Apparently, both of these ladies were passionate about Christ and passionate about the church and passionate about the kingdom. Apparently, they were passionate about all of that. And so Paul says, you know what? You're working to the same goal, so figure this out. Again, you're not enemies. Don't assume that somebody you disagree with doesn't love God and the church and doesn't want to build his kingdom. You know, two people can have the exact same goal and have two opinions on how to get to the same goal. That doesn't mean one of them doesn't love the Lord or doesn't love the church. And in my experience, a lot of times in those situations, the answer is somewhere in the middle, which we never reach if we don't sit down and talk about it. He says, figure it out. You're both, you both love Jesus. You both work for the kingdom. So treat each other as teammates working for the same Lord. 
empowered by the same spirit, and working for the same kingdom. And then figure it out. Figure it out. Well, um, I feel like I've given you a lot this morning, and I know this is a sensitive topic. I guess that's why it's so quiet in here today, right? This hits home for all of us. We've all had conflict. Even if you're not in one now, you have been in one, and you will be in one in the future. I don't know, Mike and Matt, maybe you'll be fighting next week. I don't know, I hope not. So I feel like I've given you a lot. I feel like we've pulled a lot out of a few simple verses. So if you don't remember anything else from this message today, will you at least remember the truth of this verse? This is in another place in the book of Ephesians. Paul says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Be humble, gentle, and patient. Humble, gentle, and patient. Say that with me. Humble, gentle, patient. Again, humble, gentle, patient. Humble, gentle, patient. First service, I started dancing a little bit. I'm not going to do that here. Be humble, gentle, and patient. There are not many conflicts that can't be worked out if both parties will just bring these three things to the table. Humility, gentleness, and patience. Here's why. Here's why these three things are so important in resolving conflict. That's the big idea. Practice humility, gentleness, and patience. Here's the thing. Humility and conflict enables you to own your part in it. Gentleness keeps you from yelling or being ugly. And patience gives the other person room to be as imperfect as you are. Not many conflicts can't be resolved if both parties are bringing these three things to the table. Humility, gentle, gentleness, and patience. Say it with me again. Humility, gentleness, and patience. Humility, gentleness, and patience. Bring those three things to the table. When you disagree with somebody, when you're not getting along, whether it's somebody in the church or your spouse or your kids or your parents or a sibling or somebody at work, you know what? Even on social media, what would happen if we brought humility, gentleness, and patience to the table? If you don't remember anything else today, remember that. Now, let, now one last thought. Adam, I've, I feel like I have brought these three things to the table. I have apologized. I have tried to make things right. They don't seem to want any part of it, so what do I do? There is a fantastic verse in the book of Romans. A lot of you probably know it. It's a very liberating verse. Paul says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. The reason that's such a liberating verse is that verse tells me, control what I can control. I can't control what the other person does. I can't control how they respond, but I can control what I say and do. So I'm going to control what I can control. I'm going to do everything that I know to do to bring some kind of peace to this relationship. 
into this conflict. But at the end of the day, I can't control what they do. And sometimes you just have to do everything you know to do. You apologize. You bring humility, gentleness, and patience to the conversation. You do everything that you know to do. They don't want any part of it. And sometimes you just have to then just leave it at the feet of Jesus and say, God, I'm, I'm just going to trust you with this. I've done everything that I know to do. If you lay it on my heart to do something else, I'll do it. But right now, God, I feel like I've done everything I know to do. So I'm just going to trust you with this and I'm going to keep praying about it, and I'm going to keep praying about this person, and I'm going to leave it there. Control what you can control. Do your part as far as it depends on you. Live at peace. Live at peace. Father, we know that you are the God of peace. You're, you're the God who desires peace and reconciliation in our relationships. We also know that none of us are perfect. We live in a fallen world. Sometimes things happen that, not because anybody has done a specific thing, but life just happens and conflict just seems to grow out of it. But Father, you have called us to be people of humility and gentleness, patience. So I pray for peace in our relationships. God, I pray for for the, the married couple right now who's having a hard time getting along. I pray that, that they would have grace towards each other, that they would have humility and kindness and patience with each other. And I pray that you'd bring about healing. Father, for the, the parent who is estranged from his or her son or daughter or maybe a sibling, the person who's estranged from a parent. God, would you bring about peace? Would you give each party the courage and the humility to do whatever they need to do, to just, to just to do their part? And Father, I pray for our church, not because there's anything specific going on that I know of, but Father, I, I know how Satan works. I know any foothold he can get, he'll take it. So help us all to just do our part to keep unhealthy conflict from brewing in our church family. Just help us to do our part. Thank you for your presence in the service. I thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit here right now. Pray that you would convict whoever needs to be convicted. I pray that you would give hope to whoever needs hope. That you would extend grace to whoever needs grace this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand as we worship. If you need to come forward this morning and maybe there's a conflict in your life that you need to pray about or maybe you know somebody else. Surely all of us at least know somebody else who's in a conflict right now, even if we aren't. What if you just spend some time this morning praying about that? God, bring peace to this situation and if there's any part I can play God show me what that is and give me the courage to do it